Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden. And we're talking about housing, hate, and hell. Now, I want to know, what is it that any of us are doing to hate what's going on in society? And I want to get into that a little bit more in the next segment. Right now, I want to talk about housing. Now, housing, I think, is an interesting topic because years ago, when I was um, involved in politics at a local level in New Jersey, I would oftentimes tell people when the Democrats were making these uh, crazy pushes, and including, when I say the Democrats, I do include Mittens Romney because back then he was trying to push for that Romney care deal uh, back in 2005, 2006, in that era. And universal health care, Hillary Clinton's plan for universal health care, all of that stuff was on the table. Now, I look at that and I think, why was that a bad idea then? Well, it's the same idea, uh, the same reason it's a bad idea now. It isn't effective. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It would bankrupt America and destroy the system that we currently have, which is a free market system that allows for the best care possible. Henceforth, why we have a coronavirus vaccine. Now, what's interesting about all of this is one of the examples that I used to use that went over extraordinarily well was I would tell people, guess what? You don't expect politicians to provide a home for you. You don't think that that's our job. And people would go, you know what, you're right. We don't think that that's a politician's job because people don't expect politicians to do that. But somehow now, people think that housing is a right. Now, having, of course, the ability to go to a house, uh, you know, and, and look at it and buy it and rent it and do whatever you want to do, that stuff's always allowed. It's a right of yours. Yes, it's protected. It's U.S. civil rights law. You can't be uh, barred from purchasing a home because you're brown like me or black or, or white or any other color. Got it. But when you have guys like Bernie Sanders out there preaching, health care is a right. These are the problems that arise when you start to confuse rights with things that are readily available in our society. It doesn't mean it's a right. Housing is not necessarily a right. You don't have a right to a house. You have a right to pursue one. And good for you. Get as many of them as you can. Buildings, rent them out, make lots of money. But health care in and of itself is not a right. And that, for me, was one of the most effective cases I could make against big government back in 2004, 5, 6. But that changed. 08 came. And Obamacare became a reality. You know, soon after. And people now do expect the government to do so much more for them. 
And this is the problem where the line is becoming blurred. AOC decides that I'm going to parrot what Bernie Sanders says, and she believes this stuff. Biden now is saying that he believes that health care is a right. Earlier in January, when he was preaching about equity, here's what he had to say. Check this out. Housing, for example. Housing is a right in America, and homeownership is an essential tool to wealth creation and to be passed down to generations. So Joe El Baboso Biden believes that it's okay for the government to intervene not to just protect you from discrimination, but to intervene to make sure that you get a house. And that's what they're going to do. And you've heard all about the housing master plan that they have to uh, eliminate single family zoning and replace it. And there's so much to talk about there, but not really my area of, um, it's not my forte. And honestly, it's not even a big interest area for me because just um, urban policy, urban planning is, is just not in my wheelhouse. But what I can say is rhetorically, rhetoric is, when I hear rhetoric and I hear the BS that's being spewed, I take that stuff apart all day. And that's what this is. Straight up lies. Biden is full of crap. Sanders is full of crap when he says that this infrastructure plan is all about infrastructure. And they're saying, you know, it's not really about infrastructure. And it's about, you know, um, building everything, right? They want to build everything from, from the bandwidth that's available on 5G to you name it. And the problem with that is, as many have pointed out, this isn't infrastructure. So this is why now Biden and others, including the the Secretary of Commerce and and so many others and more on the left, they all say, well, it's kind of like Bill Clinton. It depends on what you mean by the word infrastructure. They want to redefine it. And that in and of itself, I think, is the main problem. The left dominating language, the left going after everything that they disagree with and saying, you know what, we're going to change the name of that. And I talked about that in the last episode when we talked about morality and how morality is now something that's at stake. Why? Well, it's at stake because people say that, well, that's allowed and this is allowed. And the the one article I read about the um, professor in Nigeria making the case that we've changed what certain words mean, like normal, and we've redefined them. Saying that, you know, homophobia, for example, is, is, is a fear or a dislike or an angst. Um, and and it, it's, it's just inaccurately depicted. If you say something because you agree with traditional marriage, you're labeled a homophobe. If you agree with traditional immigration where we let in a million people a year but that can pay their own way, you're a xenophobe. And this is, in effect, what the left does. If you've ever read Rules for Radicals, this is how they operate. They're going to try and make us live up to our own book of rules. So they're going to try and set a standard. And every time they're setting a standard, it's a setup. Each and every time. And they they create the problem so they can provide the solution. And they already know what the reaction is and they're going to control the reaction. And that's how they do it. Each and every time. That's why this whole voting thing is a farce. But Bernie Sanders, he says that we have to define infrastructure the way he defines infrastructure. I want you to listen to this. Check this out. So do you think that things that one could argue are important but not necessarily part of an infrastructure package, such as dealing with college debt, you think that that should be part of the bill? Well, you know, it depends on what you call infrastructure. Uh, uh, Roads and bridges and tunnels are infrastructure. But I think many of us see a crisis in human infrastructure. When a working-class family can't find good quality, affordable childcare, that's human infrastructure. 
One of the areas that I am working on right now is the need to expand Medicare uh, in order to provide dental care and hearing aids and eyeglasses for millions and millions of seniors who need these services but can't afford it. Is that infrastructure? I think it is. No, Bernie. Housing is not a right. Healthcare is not a right. You got this one wrong. Bernie Sanders couldn't have gotten this more wrong. This is the problem that we face when we allow these things to happen. Now, speaking of housing, yet another attack from the Biden administration on the Trump team is this one. Today, coming out of New York, the AP is spinning this as a a big win for the Biden administration, saying they gotcha, they got uh, Trump administration official Lynn Patton. Now, what's interesting is Lynn Patton actually went and lived in public housing to help fix the problems that were there and got testimonials from these people. And these testimonials were played in lots of different places, including the RNC. And some of the people said there, look, I'm not a Trump supporter. I don't think the video was played to, to make it look like they were Trump supporters. The videos were played to show what the problem was and how they tried to respond to it and what progress they made during the Trump administration. I think that part's pretty clear. But they want to spin this out of control. So now after the fact, they're going to bar her from serving in federal office. Now, newsflash, she's not in federal office anymore. And of course, that's why they do that. This is one of those, um, as uh, the great one Mark Levin and uh, Borston would say, this is a pseudo event. But former federal uh, official Lynn Patton, in a, um, she's, they're saying that this is a publicity stunt where she tricked public housing residents and has now admitted to stuff. But what Lynn Patton actually admitted to was, quote, she said she had permission from the HUD general counsel for all of her actions and, quote, followed their directives to a T. Now, that's what Lynn Patton has to say. Irrespective of that, the uh, civil settlement from the United States Office of Special Counsel is now barring Patton from holding a federal job for four years and imposing a $1,000 fine. Now, what's messed up here is they've decided, it's their assessment, that Patton, quote, improperly harnessed the authority of her federal position to assist the Trump campaign in violation of the Hatch Act. And this is in a statement that they released uh, by the Office of the Special Counsel. Patton has repeatedly denied that she misled any of the housing residents. And and this is just so, again, it, this is a weaker version of the Mueller report, right? The same thing. You did this, you did this, you did this. And then we do a report saying, no, well, th- nothing really happened, but we're going to say that you did this. It's kind of like the impeachment fiasco 3.0. As an administrator for the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Patton got permission to live in public housing run by the New York City Housing Authority to draw attention to living conditions there. She did interviews with residents, made a video. I told you the video was shown at the RNC. And uh, it put a lot of emphasis on how poorly managed these public housing facilities were. And you don't have to go too far for that. New York One, the local channel in New York, did a whole expose on the Throgsneck houses. Now, the Throgsneck houses are in AOC's district. AOC, who's a uh, obviously are the federal representative for District 14, which covers that area, did nothing 
while her constituents didn't have elevators. Now, mind you, you tell her I take the stairs. How about the lady who was on New York One, the poor lady who said she couldn't leave her house because she's in a wheelchair? And she would, and there was a video. She would have to slide herself down the stairs because she couldn't walk and then reach up with her arms and drag her wheelchair down the stairs with her. Absolutely horrific what went on. AOC later went on to introduce some sort of absolutely insane bill and uh, as we talked about in the last episode, and that's why these bills don't become laws because they're so insane, they're so out there that she doesn't actually get anything turned into law. Nothing gets passed into law. She can't get anything onto the president's desk. She can't even get out of committee. Just showing that she's really, really ineffective. Anyway, so some of the residents got upset that their uh, video was in the RNC uh, convention saying they weren't Trump supporters. And of course, this wasn't the idea to say that they were Trump supporters. It was just the fact that President Trump's policies did, in effect, help their situation. Anyway, nonetheless, she got sued. They brought this case, and this is what they're coming out with right now. And now they're taking a victory lap, saying that this is what it is, that you know they've, they've beaten Patton, they've gotten Trump, et cetera, and et cetera. Now, Patton, Ms. Patton, she says in a statement to the Washington Post Tuesday, she continued to praise the Trump administration for her amazing work and the amazing team at HUD for their work on public housing. And she claimed that she uh, definitely had permission from the HUD general counsel for her actions and followed the directives to a T. And again, I got no reason to, to doubt that that's true because, I mean, who in their right mind would do something crazy like that? Obviously, there's lawyers in a place. You're, you're a sitting federal official. And this was widely publicized when it happened. It was a very... Um, kind of out there type of thing to do. It was very bold. You did not see Democrats doing that type of thing. Uh, Cory Booker, who uh, I've, I've personally met a bunch of times and, and worked in, in concert with when I worked in the Christie administration, moved into uh, an apartment across the street from a public housing building, uh, but he couldn't move into the project because he made too much money. And that's the only other Democrat I can think of that I know of in my you know, um, experiences that's done something like that. Lynn Patton said, you know what? I'm moving in. And that's what we're going to do. So kudos to Lynn Patton and the Trump administration for what they did. Of course, Secretary Carson as well on everything they did with public housing. And shame on these people that um, put this thing together. They're called the Nonprofit Citizens for Responsibility and uh, or excuse me, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Shame on them because they don't know what they're doing. Anyway, keep it locked right there. I want to talk about hate next. Like I said, what is it that we're doing to combat that? And how hate's really taking a toll on society and really just spreading its tentacles. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Para Inglés, o primo número dos. Para Rich Valdez. Y esto es America. Ahora. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S. And thank you again for tuning in. If you want to drop me a quick note, you can at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I'm looking forward to your comments and we're looking forward to everything that you have to say because honestly, I try to keep the listener in mind as we put the show together and I am coming to a few different cities this summer. So let us know if there's an interest. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, get at me at Rich Valdez or go to the website and leave us a message on the website, richvaldez.com. That's uh, the Rich Valdez website, richvaldez.com, Valdez with an S. Now, speaking of hate, which is what I want to get into in a couple of different ways here. There's a story about the two teenage girls, 13 and 15 years old, that 
carjacked an Uber Eats driver, they're now getting a cushy plea deal. The two teen girls accused of killing an Uber driver in a botched carjacking in Washington, D.C. I wouldn't say it's a botched carjacking. They carjacked the guy. They got they got away. They took his car. He's dead. I, th- that sounds like a carjacking to me. The fact that they crashed it later, I don't think makes it botched. To me, it's a botched carjacking when you go to carjack the guy and you trip and you fall on the floor and the guy gets away. And then it's like, oh, it's a botched carjacking. This wasn't botched. They succeeded. This man is dead. And now they've reached uh, an expected plea deal with prosecutors in the case. The bargain should be reached in the coming days, but it's unclear if it'll fully resolve the case, according to the Washington Post. The girls who do back in court on April 20th to discuss the status of the court case, the pair, 13 and 15, have been charged with felony murder, carjacking, and armed robbery in the deadly incident, which they allegedly carried out, blah, blah, blah. Allegedly nothing. I saw the whole thing on video. So yeah, it's allegedly because they haven't been convicted, but... It's a fact. We saw it. Now, under the D.C. law, the 13-year-old can't be charged as an adult, even in a murder case, according to the Post. The 15-year-old suspect could be charged as an adult, but that would increase the burden of proof on prosecutors. Well, that's their job. And again, you don't go for murder one. You go for what it is. Um, Criminally negligent homicide, murder two, manslaughter, whatever. Do the right thing and put these people uh, in, in jail. Because that's where they need to be. Now, in juvenile court in D.C., defendants who are found responsible, meaning guilty, may only be jailed until the age of 21, according to the outlet. The driver, Mohammed Anwar, 66 years old, was killed. And they keep saying it's an attempted carjacking. They stole his car and drove away with it. I don't understand why it's an attempted carjacking just because they crashed. And they were armed with a taser. Anyway. Uh, I watched this thing. It was horrific. We talked about it two two shows ago, and uh, it's still, honestly, this story really bothers me, I guess, because the entire thing was caught on video, and I have uh, a 15-year-old daughter, and I think to myself, and this is quite frankly speaking, if my daughter did that, I would probably be the first one working with the prosecutors to, to say, look, you got, you got to hold her accountable, and, and I, I hate to be that way, but I really am that guy. I don't want any preferential treatment for anything. I believe my kids have to be held accountable just like anybody else when things happen. And I think they and if you ask them, I think they'll tell you that. They probably say, "Man, I would hate for my dad to be the judge on my own case because I would definitely throw the book at him." Now, do I think that these two girls should be hanged? Maybe when I don't have my coffee yet in the morning. If I haven't had my cafe con leche, maybe I feel that way. But in reality, no. I think they should be held to whatever the full extent of the law is, not the least uh, of the law. I don't think we should circumvent the law. This was a hate-filled thing. These two individuals are living out hate. They're an example, a personification of hate. And this is a problem in society today. And what the question I asked earlier about hate is what are we doing to hate evil? You know, are we just annoyed by it and frustrated, feeling kind of defeated because of despair? Or do we actually, uh, actually hate evil and we're actively doing something to stop it, however that looks. And in many ways, you look at so much of what happens in politics. And I always cite you know, Reagan because Reagan was so clear on this. And honestly, Lincoln. Lincoln said what you see in the classroom in one generation, you'll see in the politics of another generation. You know, Andrew Breitbart, who was um, a disciple of Reagan, he says, 
politics flows downstream from culture. So if we don't address the problems in our culture, and right now it's hate, in my opinion, right? We just hate people. We hate what's good. We don't, we don't go with what's good anymore. Nobody's sticking up for what's good, what's holy. And we see that time and again. So when we have a problem like that, how do we address it? What is it that we're doing? Are we actively hating evil? Or are we just annoyed by it? And we're you know, going to call talk radio and complain about it and go on, on our parlor account and say, ah, yeah, they're just going to do what they want to do. And this is a, problem, a, a question, I guess, that I ask very seriously. Because uh, look at the MLB for stuff, for example. With respect to the MLB, I was talking with a colleague the other day. And he was like, you know, it really sucks. I might actually give up on watching baseball. And this is a kid that plays baseball. And he's in a league and everything. And he played baseball through um, college. And he's very active. And he's like, it just sucks that we can't keep politics out of it. And, and I just looked at him and I said, man, the whole reason baseball exists, the national pastime, is so that you'll be distracted from what's going on in politics. So you'll be distracted from the wars and whatever's happened. This is when baseball blew up. People started putting their attention there. Then football came, then basketball. All of these things, in my opinion, have always been distractions. It's great to enjoy sports, go to a sporting event and whatever. I get it. But ultimately, it's a distraction. People spend money there, season ticket holders. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying, how could you be very actively involved going to the town meetings in your town, harassing your town council when they're trying to rob you, going to your local school board and telling them, no, get these critical race theory books out of our curriculum. How could you do any of those things if you're all caught up on what's going on in professional sports and spending thousands of dollars a year for season tickets and waiting lists and buying them and inheriting them, whatever it is. And again, it's not a, it's not a critique, it's a question. And the, re, the answer, at least my answer, is you can't. And that means we become annoyed by evil. We become soft on crime. But we don't hate it. We're not actively in a war against it, which I think we should be. Maybe I'm radical. I don't know. Maybe I'm an extremist that I think we should actively work to hate evil, to stop evil. Earlier I, t- I tweeted, what are you doing personally to stop the left and their encroachment on our politics, our culture, our institutions? This is a question that I ask myself every day. And I think everybody should. We need to focus on the things that matter. And I think President Trump laid it out really well in his interview with Heather Childers on Newsmax when he talked about the MLB. And he really put it out there. And when he says boycott, I think he's right. He's stop it. End it. Let's take this thing on. This is an all-out war of information. This is an all-out war on our culture. Check this out. Well, I have, you know, look, I'm just not very interested in baseball. Mm-hmm. For the last number of years, I think it's not appropriate. You know, you look, it's uh, you want to find a game. It's on it's on every channel, and yet you can't find anything. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. It's used to be a nice, easy thing to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what I mean by that. It was on one network, and yeah. it was nice and good and beautiful. Today, you don't even know what the hell you're watching. So uh, I, I would say boycott baseball. Why not? I think what they did was a terrible thing. I think it's a very unfair thing. And they didn't even know the bill. And, in fact, I think they were aware of the bill that was going along. Everybody was okay with it. Then as soon as Stacey Abrams speaks up, 
Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Uh, they end up uh, folding, mm-hmm. and it should be the opposite. We have more people than they do. Well, you know, why is uh, we it We don't that... use the power of the people. You know, the yeah. people should boycott those companies that are all of a sudden uh, so righteous. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would find that they would come right – they would be right back because the bill is, is – a, it's a weak bill. Mm-hmm. It's a weak bill. I think El Trompito is 100% right here. He hits the nail on the head, and honestly, we do have to confront evil. We have to hate it. If we don't hate evil, what is it that we're doing? And again, this whole topic of hating evil was prompted by me listening to, uh, I'm going to say he's a philosopher, but he's a radio host, and he's a lot of things. He's an author, uh, Dennis Prager. I was listening to a, a talk that he was giving on this topic, and I thought, you know what, you're right. We do have to be very, very active and engaged when it comes to hating that which is the enemy of our lifestyle, the enemy of our country, the enemy of, of life, the enemy of good, and that's what evil is. And it also reminds me of this article. And another um, early mentor of mine, not personally, just uh, somebody that who influenced me a lot, James Dobson. He says, Christians must stand up to the horrible reality of the Biden administration before it's too late. And he's urging Americans to take a public stand before it's, quote, too late against Joe Biden's radical left agenda. Because it's brought us to the point where he says, quote, we're teetering on the edge. But uh, Dobson goes on and he says, it's more clear than ever that our nation is teetering on the edge. As Christians, at long last, aware of this horrible reality. And we are finally ready to stand up and let our voices be heard, because if we don't, it's going to be too late, he added. Now, Dobson, he's a, he's a shrink. He started focus on the family. He's an amazing guy, in my opinion. I think he's done a great job. He added, Biden has acted as a divider rather than to fulfill his promise to unite the country. He's advanced far-left policies, mostly by executive order, and he continues to blame President Trump for problems that he himself is creating even though he's taking credit for the successes that Trump left for him and that he inherited. Through it all, Biden continues to accuse Republicans of the politics of division. How could this man say such things with a straight face is beyond me? And this is a quote again from Dr. Dobson. Yet it seems that he's willing to say anything to cram his radical left agenda down the throats of Americans. Now, I think this is me preaching to the choir. You know that's the truth. And that's in LifeSite News, by the way. Bottom line here is we've got to do more as a people to confront that which is no good. Because once the culture goes south, our politics go south, our school classrooms go south, our children go south, and now we have generations of people that have fallen by the wayside. Unless you make a difference. Now, keep it locked right there because I want to talk a little bit more about the hell that's going on at the border and a couple of things on this uh, voter ID stuff. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. 
right, what's up, America? Welcome back. Final stretch right here. So the hellhole that has become the border, and I, I don't say that uh, provocatively. I say that really with the expectation that you'll understand that these children are going through hell. It's a real hell, and we talked about that in that one video that was out there, and I shared it on all of my social media for you to see where the um, coyotes, the smugglers, they dropped two kids, little girls, I believe, three years old and five years old, and they literally just dropped them. They're hanging off the edge of the uh, 14-foot fence, and they just dangle them and drop them to the ground. And then they throw a, a book bag over, and one girl's like motionless for about a minute or so. And it's really scary, because if you've ever had kids, I happen to have two little girls. They're a little bigger now, you know, 15 and 19, but still teenagers, still girls, and I, I had little kids like that. And all I could think was, oh my God, how do you do that to a kid? And that's the hellhole that is the border. Now, what's interesting about this whole thing is that Biden right now is detaining 18,000 minors during the peak, absolute max of the Trump administration, it was just 2,600. And this is according to a March 10th report from the Washington Post, but this is in the National Pulse. More than 8,500 migrant teens and children who crossed the border without their parents are being housed in uh, the Department of Health and Human Services facility. And nearly 3,500 more are stuck at Border Patrol stations waiting for beds in those shelters to open up. This is the highest figure ever, according to internal data reviewed by the Washington Post. In contrast, under the Trump administration, the largest number of unaccompanied minors that they ever detained was only 2,600. Now, remember, these people are being held in steel and concrete cells built for adults, but the young people are spending an average of 107 hours waiting for transfer to an HHS-run shelter. That's well over the 72-hour legal limit. And this is according to their own data. Five times as many unaccompanied minors, children, being held illegally under President Biden as compared to President Trump. And this disparity continues to increase. As of uh, March 31st, a report from ABC News reveals that there's 17,641 unaccompanied migrant minors in government care. This is equal to roughly a 50% increase in just three weeks. Wow. This is just shocking. Recent data means that Biden's regime is detaining nearly seven times as many unaccompanied minors as the Trump administration. Unreal. Biden, of course, he tries to walk away from this and dial it back by saying, oh, this is just part of a, a seasonal surge, which clearly we know. This is the worst uh, crisis we've seen in 15 years. But question, and, and the article poses this question, is that AOC, all-out crazy, our least favorite congressperson from the Bronx and Queens, when it comes to Joe El Baboso Biden's evil policies at the border, she's incredibly silent. You could hear crickets. Or if you're in Puerto Rico, you could hear the coquis. Not only is she silent, she hasn't even stopped at the border for a selfie. Now, more than 171,000 Illegal immigrants and 19,000 unaccompanied minors were apprehended. This is, right now, we have more border crossings in March 
than we've had in 15 years. March border crossings jumped to a 15-year high, and this is in the Washington Free Beacon. U.S. Border Patrol uh, agents have uh, apprehended more than they ever have. This, to me, is what's shocking. Yet, we're having a huge debate over baseball and voter IDs. You know, they say minorities can't get ID because we can't use the Internet, right? Remember when Joe Biden said that we can't use the Internet? We don't know how to use the Internet. Because blacks and Hispanics, they just don't, they don't know how to register online. Because that's what he thinks. Of course, we can't bring our own bottle of water. We, there's nothing we can do on our own. Because, of course, we're black, we're brown. That's where we're at. I say, screw you and screw that. That's a bunch of uh, BS, and I think everybody knows it. Leo Terrell, he's a Democrat, he's a lawyer. He was on TV, and uh, I think he put it very eloquently when he said, look, I'm black and I know how to do this. I want you to listen to this. I want Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams to know one thing. I'm a black guy. I got a voter ID. I got a driver's license. It's not hard for minorities to get a photo ID because you want election integrity, Joe Biden. So what they're doing, Sean, is they're playing the race card and using the race card and weaponizing Jim Crow. It scares people. And I'll use a page from Donald Trump's playbook. We have to fight back. We have to call Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams for what they are, liars. See this See this ID card? It's easy. All you do, you walk up and get one. In Georgia, if you don't have one, they'll give you one. So Joe Biden owes this nation an apology for, for, for devaluing those people who really went through hell during the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> Terrell's a funny guy, but he brings up a, a solid point. Of course black people can do this. The, the idea that you should be even suggest that black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, whatever ethnic minority they may be, racial minority, however you want to phrase it, the fact that you're saying that a certain people group can't achieve something because of them being that people group is bigoted and shouldn't be a conversation we're even having. But that's where we are. This is why I always say you have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And like Burke says, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So don't just sit there and do nothing. Do something. Go and leave your comments on richvaldez.com, therichvaldez.com. Go there right now and leave a comment. Let us know what's going on. Drop a review on your Apple podcast app, whichever app you use. No problem. Let me know how we're doing. We use this feedback. It's really important to us. But not only that, go and do something in your community. Reach more people. Ask yourself what I ask myself every day. What am I doing to stop the left? There's more that all of us can do, and I'm looking at the mirror as I'm saying that. I know there's more that I can do. That's why I'm taking this show on the road. So if you guys want to meet up and get together and be part of a panel um, in you know, in one of the few four or five big cities we're going to be hitting this summer, let me know. I'd love to know where you're at. We've got our eyes on a few places uh, you know, between California and New York, so uh, there's a few options open. But we'll get into that a little bit more in, in the coming weeks. We'll uh, unveil exactly what's going on with that. But until the next time, hasta la próxima, America. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America.
Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.